All right, we're, we've got a new book to um, that we're starting this morning. <coughs> we're in the uh, section here of the New Testament called the Gospels, and we're doing the fourth gospel, the Gospel of John. And um, this. Uh, This is an interesting, very interesting gospel. Very different from the first three. What what do we call the first three as a group? Synoptic. Yeah, the synoptic gospels. What does that mean? Yeah, with one view. And John definitely does not have that same view. He doesn't contradict them. He just does his own thing. He just covers totally different stories. Um, and it's interesting in that he assumes you've already read the Synoptic Gospels. A time or two, he'll refer to a, uh, some event like you're supposed to already know this. Um, so it's it's very likely he wrote last. Um, most um, scholars who have studied the matter uh, think think that he wrote toward the end of the of the century. In fact. <clears throat> which would have been when most of the apostles would have already been dead. Um, and oddly enough, for a book written close to the last in the New Testament, we actually have the earliest um, piece of a manuscript of it. Uh, this is called the John Ryland's Fragment. Uh, of the Gospel of John. It was found in 1920, it was found in Egypt. That's all they have of it, except on the back. I mean, it's, it's front and the back. Um, and they know this comes from the Gospel of John. They, they can tell you the chapter and verse. I can't, but they can tell you the chapter and verse on the front and the chapter and verse on the back. And based upon how far apart they are, they can figure out about how big the page would have been. <laughs> <laughs> from the book it came from. Based upon the shape of the letters by the handwriting analysis, they know that this was written somewhere between the end of the first century and about 150 A.D. Um, so the best guess is around 125 A.D. Now this was, not the, this was not the copy that John himself wrote. This was a copy someone made later um, when... And it's the earliest we have of any New Testament document, at least as far as as far as we know. Um, it's interesting that before that fragment was found, um, a lot of the liberal scholars, the ones who really don't believe the Bible is what it claims to be, um, they were dating the Gospel of John as late as the end of of the 100s, end of the second century. And that they were saying that's when it was written. Which obviously it couldn't have been written by an apostle if it was written a hundred years uh, after the last apostle would have died. Um, and then they come along with this fragment, and here you've got people making copies. And this is a copy down in Egypt, not where John was writing. Uh, J- John was probably writing in, in the area of Asia Minor. We know that that's where he was in when um, he wrote the Book of Revelation. Um, and so the book had made its way all the way down into Egypt, copies of copies, 
by the time this piece was made, uh, and yet this piece was done only uh, 125 around that 125 AD. <coughs> the outline of John is quite a bit different from the uh, the outlines we've had of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We notice as we're doing Matthew, Mark, and Luke, each of the outlines looked almost the same, but um, John's is quite a bit different. Um, John has a prologue. Now that's not hugely different from the others, but his prologue is pretty unique. Um, then the beginnings of Jesus' ministry, nothing really to compare with in the Gospels. And then we have his ministry, signs and discourses. You don't, it, it, the outline doesn't mention well the Galilee ministry and all that. Although the first part, in fact, in John we have an earlier piece than what we have in the Synoptic Gospel. Some people call it uh, the, his Judean ministry. And there's just no hint of that in the, in the Synoptic Gospels. The, the Synoptic Gospels all start uh, after John the Baptist is put in prison. That's where they, they start his ministry. Now, I understand he was baptized before that and 40 days in the wilderness and all that, but <clears throat> no preaching at all really before John the Baptist was put in prison. John covers uh, a period that may be as long as six months before that. And, and you just don't have that in, in the other Gospels. Um, one book I read that has actually spent the time to do the counting says that John deals with a very few number of days in the life of Jesus. They, they counted up and they said they think that He covers 20 days. Over one third of the book covers one day, just 24 hours. A third of the book covers from the time of the Last Supper till he was buried the next day. So there's there's one of the 20 days. The other 19 are scattered around. But um, so it's not 20 consecutive days. No, no, they're not. In fact, you don't really know how long, how far apart they are. John doesn't go into that. Um, so John is really dealing with detailed stories, whereas Matthew, Mark, and Luke will deal with a you know a whole lot of stories, but just a little bit about each one. John really goes in, you know, he, he picks very few, but he gives a, a lot more details about those few. The miracles he covers, someone's counted them up and says there are seven uh, in in the uh, book of John. I didn't count for this particular study, but. Something were in the neighborhood of that, um, and each one in more detail. In in the part of the book that's before his final week, there are only two stories that are told in John that are also in the Synoptic Gospels: the feeding of the five thousand and the walking on the water. Both of them happening right together within the same twenty-four hour period. Um, everything else, it, you, you will not find it in the Synoptic Gospels, um, which makes it very interesting. Uh, and I, again, John, John was familiar with the Synoptic Gospels when he wrote this, and his intention was not to try to, you know, do another Synoptic. He 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 wants to cover things that the others didn't cover, um, and he tells us at the very end why he wrote the book. 
in um, in John chapter twenty, the last two verses of the chapter. Um, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. The book is to, is to try to inspire faith in Jesus. But he goes much deeper than just that. Not only does he, does he give reasons to believe, but it's really a book about belief and about unbelief. And as far as I can tell, every single story John tells, he was there. He saw it. That's not true of any of the other writers. Uh, every everything he tells about it, I, I'm pretty sure he was there and watched it, and so he's he's an eyewitness. But you also see as you go through the the faith of the disciples, including John. Although John never names himself in the book, and he never names his brother James, even though they were two of the inner three, and they figure in all the major stories, their names are never found. Um, but the disciples as a group are talked about quite a lot. And you see their faith gradually increasing as you go through the book. And that's a, a, a theme. I mean, the theme is to try to get us to believe, but it's also to show how the disciples' faith grew as they watched Jesus and listened to His, his teaching. At the same time, the Pharisees, and, and mostly in the book of John, he calls them the Jews. When he talks about the Jews, he's talking about the ones who, who are, are really enemies of Jesus. Their unbelief gradually increases as you go through. Um, so it's a very interesting story. And, and uh, Jesus Himself talks about faith and belief in, in His extended discourses. Um, so it, it's, it's quite a fascinating study. Uh, this morning we're doing the first six chapters, which covers prologue, beginnings of his ministry, and then some of his signs and discourses. Um, so I want to talk about the prologue here, which is the first uh, 18 verses. Um, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, would you consider that deep... <laughs> Very dense. But here's an interesting thing. I mean, John is a very, very deep writer. This is true in the Gospel of John. This is true in, in his epistles. It's true in the book of Revelation. Um, but one of the things that's unusual about this very deep thinker is that he uses very simple words. And look, look again to that verse. Any word you don't know the meaning of? <laughs> it's the simplest words possible. But when years ago when I started learning Greek, this was one of the very first verses that I was able to read because it has such easy words. <laughs> um, in fact, back years ago, one time I could actually quote this verse in Greek. <laughs> I don't think I could do that today. But um, <clears throat> and yet. You can know every word of this verse and you haven't even begun to plumb the depths of it. <laughs> um, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was 
what's the word? What, what, what's, I mean, in Greek, the word, the, the, the word is logos. You may have heard that. It's one of the Greek words a lot of people know. Uh, we get our word logic from it in English. Um, uh, in the beginning was ha logos, the word. The word was with God and the word was God. What's John talking about here? Thank you, Yeah, he, he he starts in in where you don't. He, he's not real clear, but in verse fourteen he says, "And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us." So there, that's it's only then that you know who he's talking about. And he, John, of course, is writing a prologue that he couldn't possibly have written while Jesus was on earth. This is something he didn't fully understand until after the resurrection of Jesus. Even after his ascension, I'm sure. Just, I'm sure as the years went by, as he thought about this, it just must have astonished him more and more. Um, he says in verse 14, "The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth." Well, what is it like? to see the glory of God on earth. Well, John's going to tell us, in fact. <laughs> That's what the book of John is about. As we read these stories, we're, he's sharing with us how he beheld the glory of the eternal Word become flesh. He says in verse 3, all things came into being through Him and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. And I'm sure as John thought about this in later years, he was thinking, you know, this man that I ate with, this man that I walk with and talk with, He made me. <laughs> Unbelievable. In Him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. That Verse 5 is a major point in the book. The Word came into the world and the Word is spreading light wherever it goes. It's spreading life and light. But the darkness did not comprehend it. And the theme of light and darkness is one that we'll see again coming up in the book of John. So then... Still in the prologue, though, he gets to verse 6. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. Of course, we call him John the Baptist. And, and, he, and so he talks about John the Baptist was a witness to light, but he wasn't the light himself. And then in verse 9, he comes back to the light, the Word, or Jesus. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him and the world did not know Him. And just a shocking thought that the One that made everything came down to the people that should understand Him, especially when you think about the Jews being the people of God, and they didn't accept Him. They didn't know Him. He came to His own. I think in verse 11, His own means the Jews. And those who were His own did not receive Him. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, 
but of God. And that again is another major theme. Um, he says in verse 16, For of His fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. Nothing like that in the Synoptic Gospels. <laughs> Just... Um, we, we, we're getting to the end of the book of the book of First John on Wednesday night, and we notice how the book of First John starts very similar to how the book of John starts with a similar prologue. So now he gets into his story, and in verse 19, this is the testimony of John. Um, you see, he, the prologue mentioned that in verse seven he came as a witness to testify about the light. So now that we finish the prologue, we can go back. All right, now here's what John said. And it's amazing what John did say. Um, I'll skip over this first part, verses 19 through 28, when the, the, the Jews sent to ask him about who he was. It's similar to what we had in the synopsis, although not the same. But in verse 29, this is unique. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him. When is this? I mean, I know it's the next day after that those guys talked to him, but in the Synoptic Gospels, when does this happen? When? Right, it's after his baptism because he specifically mentions what he saw when Jesus got baptized. But we know right after Jesus' baptism, what happened? He went into the wilderness for how long? Forty days. So this has got to be after the forty days. I don't. I don't think there's room in the synoptics to put this happening before that. I mean, I, I could be wrong, but I, I think this is after Jesus had finished the forty days, and John sees him again. And what's he say about him? This is verse twenty-nine. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he says in verse thirty-two, verse thirty-one, I did not recognize him but so that He might be manifested to Israel. I came baptizing in water. John testifies saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and He remained upon Him. And that's how He knew who He was because the Holy Spirit had told Him, the one you see this happen to, that's the one. He is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So then, the next day after that, verse 35, John was standing with two of his disciples. Now, he doesn't tell us right then who the two are, but later on we find out that one of the two was Andrew, brother of Peter. The other one is never named. Almost certainly, it's either James or John. My guess is John, but um, John's not going to tell us. But there's these two disciples of John. So they've already been following John, listening to him preach. They believe. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. What did the two disciples do when they heard that? Followed Jesus. Followed Jesus. Never went back to John. John lost his best disciples to Jesus. <laughs> the ones he had left were the ones, I guess, that weren't quite as excited about, Hey, behold the Lamb of God. 
So they followed him and, and they wanted to see where he was staying. And he said, well, come and you'll see. So they came and stayed with him. What time was it in verse 39? About the 10th hour. If you have the New American Standard, you notice in the margin, you may be surprised at what it says. 10 a.m. Now, in all the other Gospels, in fact, I think all other books of the New Testament, what time would the 10th hour be? Yeah, about 4 in the afternoon because you start, the sun comes up around 6 a.m., so you add 10 hours. Actually, I don't get that. Yeah, 4. I do get that. 4 p.m. Um, John, I think, follows Roman time. And there's several places in the Gospel of John where if you follow anything other than Roman time, it doesn't make as much sense. Um, why would John follow a different time from what all the other writers follow? Because he's writing a lot later and he's not writing in Israel. He's writing... Yeah, um, in in an area that is much more influenced by by the Roman culture, um, John himself is a, a native Jew, but he has to kind of interpret things for for the readers because they don't know what's going on, you know, and and he does that a number of times in the book. But it appears that the times that he uses, he just uses Roman time, which ran from midnight to noon and noon to midnight, just like our time. So this would have been the 10th hour. It's either 10 a.m. or 10 p.m. Well, 10 p.m. is pretty much out, so 10 a.m. So it makes sense. They stayed with him that day. If they arrived at 10 o'clock in the morning, you know, you've got plenty of time that, that day makes, makes sense. Andrew then found his brother who was who? Peter. Peter. Very important addition there. Then um, we assume that when it says in verse 41, he found first his own brother... The other guy found second, his brother. <laughs> the other guy being either James or John. And then the next day, Jesus called another guy himself. He, he, he didn't... Um, this guy, I guess, didn't decide to follow him. Who was that? Philip, yeah. And when, when Jesus called him, he followed him, and he was so excited that he went and found someone else who was Nathaniel. So now Jesus has six two of them not being named. And then he goes back with to Galilee in chapter 2. Oh, I should have should have shown the map here. We were probably down in this area where these things were happening. Um, but then in um, in chapter 2, the turning of the water into wine takes place in what city? Yeah, so he's all the way up in Cana. He was from Nazareth, but he's up in Cana. His mother's there too. I don't know what the connection was, but she apparently is connected with the family, getting husband or the bride or groom. And his disciples were invited too. So there's Jesus plus at least the six that were with him. And um, what's unique about this miracle? It was his first one, yes. Um, in John we have his first miracle and we have the second one in at least the second one in Galilee I don't think it's the second one period but second one done in Galilee um, and an interesting one I mean detailed 12 
Um, 11 verses on just one miracle. And occasionally you'll have that much in, in, a, in a synoptic gospel, but it's, it's still quite a bit. Um, and an interesting way to start, isn't it? Um, to the very first miracle, he turns water into wine. Um, and John is the one that mentions when they pierced his side, there came forth blood and water at the, at the end. Um, what what do you, um, what do they put the water in for this water into wine? Huh? <laughs> well, not these. These, are <laughs> but certainly some like a stone. They were stone water pots used for what? Well, yeah, but why why do you need water in them? It's, it says in the story. Um, it was for the Jewish custom of what? Purification. Purification, yeah. You remember when they'd get on Jesus' case because His disciples didn't wash their hands? They, they would put these water pots at, at the entrance of their house and then you could just go and dip your hands in and then you can go eat. These pots were found in a 4th century synagogue. Um, so they wouldn't have been the ones that Jesus used, but they were probably very similar to that. These are stone. Um, So then from um, from Cana he he moved to Capernaum and that and that's where he's um, takes up his residence. Of course we know that with from the synoptic gospels but John tells us that here in verse 12. Um, but he doesn't leave him there for long because what happens in verse 13? Yeah, this is Passover. So he travels down here to Jerusalem. And we have a story that sounds like we've had it in the Synoptic Gospels, but we haven't. Why? Right. The cleansing of the temple in Matthew, Mark, and Luke takes place in the last week. It's at, right after his triumphal entry. This cleansing takes place before Matthew, Mark, and Luke even get started with the ministry in Galilee. He does much the same thing. Um, he makes a um, a whip out of cords and he uh, drives the animals out and uh, pours out the coins of the money changers. <laughs> makes it makes an interesting picture. Take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. Disciples remember that it was written, "Zeal for your house will consume me." So the Jews then, and again. And John, when he says the Jews, he's really talking about the Jewish leaders that are antagonistic to him. So the Jews said, what sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? They don't recognize the moral authority he has, the fact that what they were doing was a sin. What sign? And what sign does he offer them? The three days. Yeah, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Jesus all the time talk like that. I mean, how is someone supposed to understand what he means? <laughs> the disciples didn't even understand. Although after he was raised, they remembered it, and then they understood. <laughs> yeah, he well, and and Jesus means more than just you know. Well, let's just find a little interesting word to use in place of body. Um, the, this really goes with the, with the whole concept of the temple of God on earth. But we don't have time for that 
<laughs> this morning. This is just a survey. Um, so, um, let me see here where we are. And yeah, verse 20, he was speaking of the temple of his body. Alright. We've got Nicodemus. Now Nicodemus, I, I believe, is I think he's mentioned in the in the Synoptic Gospels. I didn't look it up to make sure, but I do have a Well, no, he may not be, because in the Synoptic Gospels, the bearing of Jesus is only done by Joseph of Arimathea, and John is done by both Nicodemus and Joseph. So I'm not sure if he's even there at all. Um, he comes and has a, a, an extended discussion with Jesus. And again, deep. I mean, he, he understands what most of the rulers of the Jews don't understand, that nobody can do the signs Jesus is doing unless God is with him. So Jesus gives him some really deep stuff. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That can also be translated, and you'll see the marginal note, unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And some translations do give it that way. But a rebirth. And, and Nicodemus, I'm not sure that he's as dense as some people make him out to be. You know, How can, can he enter into his mother's womb and be born again? I'm, I think he may have been using that as an illustration of the fact that you can't start over. And and how many of us feel the same thing? I mean, our lives are the results of all these events, choices others have made, choices we've made, sins committed. How can you start over? And Jesus came so that we could. That's the wonderful thing about what He came to bring. He says in verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in Him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Um, and then we come back to the theme of light and darkness in verse 19. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Yeah, the deeds are evil. People that are doing evil deeds don't want the light. All it does is show them up. They don't like that. Um, Then in verse 22, after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. There he was spending time with them and baptizing. Um, I don't know. I would would have guessed that the, the visit with Nicodemus would have taken place in Jerusalem, but I can't guarantee it. I mean, Nicodemus was on the Sanhedrin Council, which met in Jerusalem. But certainly, after the after the, some of the earlier things, he he changed residence for a while. And um, this map doesn't really show where Samaria ends and Judea starts, but it's going to be somewhere you know in the neighborhood around here. And so Jesus is down in this area somewhere, uh, doing uh, preaching work. And and in fact, his disciples were were doing what? Baptizing. They were baptizing. No hint of that in the in the Synoptic Gospels. My guess is they quit doing the baptizing after John was put in prison, because there's just no mention of it at all in in the Synoptic Gospels, and no mention after this chapter in, in the Book of John. Um, but it was it began to create a problem because um, what did John's disciples notice was happening? 
Yeah, Jesus was getting more disciples than John. And they didn't think that was fair. John was first. <laughs> hey, John, it was your idea to baptize, not this guy. He, you know, Johnny come lately and now he's got more. And what's John's attitude about this? That it's for him to decrease and Jesus to increase. Yeah. What a humble attitude. What a marvelous attitude. You know, he must increase, but I must decrease. Chapter 4, uh, Jesus, Jesus goes back when He, when he realized there was this problem in verse 1. Um, then He left Judea and went into Galilee, but He went through what area? Samaria, Samaria yeah. Um, he could have gone around, and the Jews often did, but He decided He was going to go right through. And He came to this city of Sychar, which is a very ancient city because the well was dug by who? Jacob. Over, over a thousand years before that. I mean, this is an old well. <laughs> um, and this woman is—he's he, sitting there. What time was it? Does anyone remember what time it was? Midday. Sixth hour. Sixth hour. Wait a minute. What time is the sixth hour? Six p.m. If you're dealing with Roman time, we're going to deal with Roman time and John. Uh, we're just going to have to get used to that. <laughs> And if you think about it, that makes much more sense. 6 p.m. He's tired. The disciples are going in to buy food. What would you expect? I mean, that's the time to eat. Um, and it's also the time when you would expect someone to be coming out to get water. They would get water in the morning and in the evening. Um, so he's sitting there. The woman comes to draw water. And, and what did Jesus say? Give me a drink. Yeah, give me a drink. And uh, she's really surprised because she knows he's a Jew and Jews just they will not deal with Samaritans like that because what's he going to drink out of? He's going to drink out of whatever she draws with and Jews, that, that was just disgusting for them. <laughs> but Jesus turns, turns it around. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says you give me a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you what? Living water. Living water. And um, so they go back and forth a while more and um, He explains that the living water is water that You'll never thirst again. It, it, it will give it'll become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So she decides, hey, I think I like some of that. Then I wouldn't have to come all the way out here to draw. <laughs> so what did Jesus say to her? Call your husband. Yeah, call your husband to come here. I don't have a husband. <laughs> well, you've correctly said I have no husband, for you've had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. <laughs> that got her attention. And so she had... And I think she's asking a question that she cares very much about. I think she's all of her life she's wondered about this. The Jews said you've got to go to Jerusalem to worship. Her answers have said you've got to worship in this mountain, which is right. And Jesus gives her this marvelous answer that, well, the Jews are right. They know the salvation from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. It's going to come a time when it's not a place that matters. So then she mentions the Messiah. That's another big question she's a God. And he, and he tells her what He hardly ever tells anyone else, and that is, I'm the Messiah, He says. And she goes and gets a whole bunch more people from the town, they ask him to stay. He stays for two days and converts 
a whole bunch of these people. <laughs> they come to belief. And so then, after that, he comes back to to Cana, which surprises me. I don't know why, because Capernaum was his normal place. But he came to Cana, and this royal official hears about him. His son is sick. He travels all the way to Cana to ask Jesus to heal him. What does Jesus do? He tells him, "Your son lives." He didn't go. He didn't go back with him. He did it from a distance. I think this was the longest distance he, that we have reported of one of these things in the in the Gospels. Um, and again, this is a, this miracle is not found in the Gospels. And John says it's the second sign Jesus performed when he come out of Judea into Galilee. And then, uh, in chapter five, Jesus goes. Back to Jerusalem, it just says a feast of the Jews. We don't know which one. Um, and specifically, he goes to what place of Jerusalem? Uh, what's the name of the pool? Yes, the Pool of Bethesda. Uh, you see here it is north of the temple on this map. Um, and I won't... On the next slide, I'm going to show you a picture looking from the pool, kind of in this direction, sort of south, southwest. You'll see the Antonia Fortress, you'll see the temple, and the pool. Now, this is a model we're looking at. This is the same model I've shown pictures of before. Pretty big model, in fact. Um, I think you can barely see some people back in the background looking on at this model. It's over in Jerusalem. Um, I've never been there, but I've got. You can find these pictures on the internet. And here's what this man thinks the pool looked like. They had an upper pool and a lower pool. This is the fortress of Antonia. That's the temples taking up there. This is the wall around the temple. And so uh, I don't know whether it was the upper or the lower one that the, that they had the five porches on in this model. I don't see five porches, but. Um, they're waiting. That they believe there was a miracle being done whenever the water was stirred, and they could get healed. John's not saying that it happened, but they certainly believe that. And how long has this one guy been sick there, laying there? Imagine, imagine that. Thirty-eight years, the poor guy has been sick. And what does Jesus ask him? You wish to get well. <laughs> does the guy say, "Yeah"? His view is, you know, if you really care about me, maybe you can hang around with the water stirred. You can quickly get me in the water first because only the first guy gets healed. What does Jesus say to him? Take up your pallet and walk. And for the first time in 38 years, that's exactly what he did. Unfortunately. Yeah, what day was this? It was Sabbath day. You're not supposed to be carrying your pallet around on the Sabbath day. And the Jews uh, call, call him on that. It's a Sabbath. You can't do this. What's what's his answer? The man told me to pick up my power. Yeah, the man who made me well said to do this. You kind of you kind of have to believe a guy that can heal someone who's been sick for thirty eight years. He seems to know what he's talking about. So they want to know. Well, who was that? He didn't know. And then he and then Jesus saw him later in the temple. And in verse fourteen says, "Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore, so that nothing worse happens to you." 
So now he knows who it is, so he went back and told him, well, it was Jesus. I don't know whether he was doing it for a good purpose or a bad purpose. Bold, boldness or cowardice, I don't really know. I don't think John. that's not John's point. He just wants to show how that then led to the Jews persecuting him because he had done a miracle on the Sabbath. And his defense doesn't make matters any better at all. <laughs> he says, my father is working until now and I myself am working. Now what's he done? He said he's the Son of God. Yeah. He says he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. And as Jesus continues talking to him, he doesn't say, no, no, you misunderstood. I'm not equal with God. I would never say that. He does not hint at that. He lets you know, yes, he is equal with God. He understands it. And, and so He does what the Father does. In verse 22, He says, For not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Wow! I mean, Jesus is claiming to be somebody that's not human. I mean, He was human, but He was much more than human. Exactly what John told us in the prologue. In the beginning was the Word. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears My Word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. And then He talks about the resurrection. All that are in the tombs will hear His voice and come forth. And then He talks about witnesses to back Him up. And he says, verse 36, but the testimony I have is greater than the testimony of John. What's the witness he claims? The works. Who else can heal a guy that's been sick for 38 years? That's testimony. Um, And he says in verse 39, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about Me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. We're seeing unbelief developing here, and we're seeing why. Jesus says it's because they were unwilling. That's why they have unbelief. In verse 46, for if you believe Moses, you will believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And then we have these two miracles that are also in uh, the Synoptic Gospels. The feeding of 5,000 and the walking on the water. Um, but the discussion that follows is unique to, to John. So the, the feeding of 5,000 takes place somewhere in the neighborhood of Bethsaida across the water. And then he walks in the water back and, and, and comes back to Capernaum. And the people that got fed, they had to take boats to get back the next day. And then from verse 26 on to the end of the chapter, we have this big long discourse where Jesus talks about bread, but He's talking about a different kind of bread. In the first place, He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek Me. Why? Signs. Well, not because you saw signs. Yeah, free food. (laughs) That's why you're seeking me. And he's exactly right. You're going to see that. 
So he says, do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life. So they pick up on his word work. Work. Oh, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? What's his answer? Believe in Him whom He has sent. <laughs> that's that's a, diff- a different kind of work, all right. All right, so they pick up, oh, we got to believe in you. Ah, what then will you do as a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Now they give him a suggestion. What's the suggestion? More food. <laughs> More food. <laughs> hey, the man that lasted for 40 years. If you're going to be, if you're, you want us to believe in you. So now Jesus talks about true bread out of heaven. <laughs> and what's the true bread out of heaven? Jesus is. And it gets even worse. I mean, at first, you know, okay, we can kind of handle this. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Similar to what he said to the woman at the well. But then he goes on, and in verse, um, let me see here. In verse 53. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourselves. That's getting really, really hard to understand. And, I, and none of the disciples could understand it at the time. And, and in fact, what happened with some of His disciples? They went away. Yeah, they went away. They just couldn't handle this. And, and I think a lot of people today don't understand this. A lot of people today read this and they think, oh, he's talking with the Lord's Supper. Unless we eat the Lord's Supper, we don't have life in ourselves. The Lord's Supper symbolizes what he's talking about, but it's not what he was talking about. It's not the Lord's Supper that gives us life. It's taking Jesus into our lives. Taking His sacrifice into our lives. I mean, we live not because of ourselves, not because of our own works, but because Jesus is in us. That's what he's trying to tell us here. We have this great statement here at the end of the chapter. After verse 66, when many disciples withdrew, Jesus said to the twelve, first mention of the twelve, and it doesn't, you know, the other gospels give us the names of twelve. John doesn't do that. You're supposed to know that there's twelve. <laughs> You've already read those gospels. So he says to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? Peter gives this great answer Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that You are the Holy One of God. Did Peter understand how you can eat Jesus' flesh and drink His blood? But he at least knows he has words of eternal life and he's not going to let go of that. <laughs> this is great. And again, think about this. The, the book of John is a, a book about faith. About the disciples coming to faith. And notice what Peter is saying. We have believed and have come to know that You are the Holy One of God. He's got a lot, a lot farther to go, but His faith has grown to that point. But a lot of the disciples hadn't gotten to that point, so they withdrew. And the enemies are just becoming more and more unbelieving as the time goes on. That's it. Any questions or comments? Yeah, John. Well, just in, in the first chapter, or so John, it, it does. John makes a point of saying that the disciples did witness these early miracles, and, and that was a, it was the beginning of their faith. Their yeah, they saw they saw him turn the water into wine, yeah. and that really helped helped them to come to faith. Yeah.
disparage miracles. Oh, the whole reason John puts the seven miracles in is to give us faith. Yeah, but it just doesn't work for everybody. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Appreciate everyone's help.